is The Wolf of High Street with Tim Bakeless. Hello and welcome. Second episode of the Wolf of Pod Street podcast. Thank you for those who listened to the first episode, despite Gerson Rosas and the Timberwolves front office just totally sabotaging everything that we talked about in the first episode. We recorded at Saturday at about 2 p.m., 3 p.m., what, 30 hours later, give or take. Ryan Saunders is fired. Come on, man. You know know the Timberwolves are weird. Wolves weird. (laughs) They do weird stuff. You can't, you can't plan on a normal schedule. A blast from podcast past with Wolves Weird. Uh, my guest, Dane Moore, who I've probably podcasted with more than any other human being on earth. A uh, good friend of mine is here to break down everything that happened over the last week. We've had a week to digest what has happened. We've got three games under our belt with what has happened. By the time this episode airs, there will be a fourth game that, again, will ruin everything that we talk about this afternoon, but that's okay. Dane, you've talked on your podcast a lot about Ryan Saunders, your relationship with Ryan as, as a media member to a coach, maybe different than, uh, definitely different than your relationship with Tom Thibodeau, but different in terms of what I've experienced with coaches in the past. So what, just first give me your thoughts on the, the, the firing of Ryan Saunders, both as a, as a media member and uh, just someone that has gotten to know him over the last couple of years. Yeah, well, I would say just on the, you know, the basis of performance, it was obviously a just move to make. Um, the Timberwolves lost a whole bunch when Ryan Saunders was the coach. Uh, and I wouldn't say there was a lot of things along the way amidst the losing that you can say that, you know, Ryan really did to exceed expectations or any player really exceeded expectations. I mean, if, if you and I went through this and we tried to make a pluses and minuses thing over the you know, the, the Ryan Saunders era, <clears throat> we could make a, a whole, a list of a whole bunch of like blunders that happened. And really, I think the only real discernible positive we saw the Saunders era was that the beginning of last season, the way he used cat was different. Um, and just really running the offense through him, really empowering him to shoot at the, at the top of the key. Uh, but, but I mean, objectively outside of that, it was, uh, <clears throat> it was more failure then it was success. And then along the way, they just lost a crap ton of games. So that's, as they say, I'm sick of hearing it, but you know, that's, that is the business. So that would be the basketball side. Fair enough. And I mean, all of this come, you, you talked about it on your podcast, this on your podcast as well, but uh, a, I think you can say Ryan Saunders was dealt a tough hand. Uh, Jimmy Butler was traded during the Tibbs era uh, they had a little bit of a honeymoon period post-trade and then they started to fall. Tibbs is fired. Um, but the main reason this is, or yeah, Tibbs is fired. But the main reason I would say that this has been a, I guess a shit hand for Ryan and what's going to make it tough for Chris Finch to start is <laughs> D'Angelo Russell and Kat, who the last time I potted with you, you went off about how the pair is going to be awesome. They've played five games together in about a calendar year at this point. I want to clarify that. I What I was saying was I thought it would be a lot better than the perception was coming into the season. I feel like... Well, you, I'm, I'm quoting you. You said it's going to be awesome uh, offensively, right? Yes, yes. Or, or at least at least better than the offensive output that we've seen so far, bare minimum. It would have... Right. The pairing makes a lot of sense offensively. Ryan got five games to work with that, one of which Cat got hurt and had to come in late into a game as a decoy. Uh add in Anthony Edwards, the trio, like they, they don't get to play together and Ryan doesn't get to use the, the duo. And a, to a certain degree, the trio that Gerson put together for him, Chris Finch has a history. Do you have something to say or? Yeah, no, I, I, I was just gonna, I was just gonna say like, I think when we, we, we talked, we did that podcast before the season and, and I was into the idea that, you know, you looked, you would look up and down the list of the bigs that D'Angelo had ever played with. And you look up and down the list of the, the smalls that Cat had ever played with. And pretty much no matter what you think of D'Lo or Cat, even if you're low on both of them, those guys are still respectively the best big and small that those yeah. guys have ever played with. And it was easy to me to see, you know, a, a boost there. Plus both of those guys 
what they are good at is offense. Mm-hmm. And, and so I did it and I still don't have a doubt that they can be really a really dynamic offensive duo. Why I would walk away from the statement of awesome is because I now have less belief in the, like the entire construct of, of all of this. I, I really, I really question the idea of a team offensively built around cat Delo. Edwards and Beasley, not because they won't be very good at offense, but because I now feel like we know for a fact that a team that's playing those four guys, the most minutes is going to be in a track meet the whole time um, because defensively they're going to get smacked. So like, are they going to, are the, is the cat and D'Lo pairing going to score a bunch of points per possession is like, are the wolves going to have a good offensive rating when those guys those four out there. Yeah. But I don't think it's going to be awesome because I think they're going to be given back almost as many of those points as they're taking. Yeah. So by that logic, I wonder, I'm not putting you on the spot because I don't think it's a fair question, but I wonder what Ryan Saunders time tenure with Minnesota, how long it would have lasted had he had a healthy pair, whether they would have had some offensive success and it would have helped him or, to your point, I think would have bought him time for sure because of yeah. Glenn. Glenn would have been like, "Oh, like, look, they're playing well, right? You yeah. got to keep, it. yeah, fair enough." I mean, Gerson's the the president of basketball operations, and you know, initiates this type of move. But like in the NBA, there's presidents and then there's dictators, and they exist in the same organization. So, like, Glenn ultimately had to thumbs up anything. So, uh. I think that's what Glenn, I know that's what Glenn wanted to see. He wanted to give Ryan, you know, the time to see some cat and Pilo together. As I think we all think would have been a pretty reasonable thing to, to give someone. But when it became clear that uh, that wasn't, co- wasn't going to happen anytime soon because Delo was out and that the wolves looked bad once cat got back, I think that's why Glenn ultimately pulled the trigger. Now, is that fair? Should have we expected cat to be really awesome? Right when he comes back from COVID and he's playing with a bunch of teenagers, like I don't think so. Still, at the same time, like I think the the Ryan thing had just kind of run its yeah run its course. I think I agree. Okay, Chris Finch. Yeah, you called it. Um, I didn't even <laughs> see the original tweet, but uh, I didn't know. I'm going to be honest. Like I knew they interviewed him. I knew nothing about Chris Finch. Um, obviously, the second a guy gets hired as head coach, everybody that covers the team is going to dive deep. And, you know, we, we found out, or you already knew he was the head coach of the Rio Grande Valley Vipers when Gerson was the GM and he's got a history with Gerson. Uh, he also has a history. Uh, I think Jack Borman tweeted out some positive numbers in terms of the way he uses dynamic offensive centers, Nikola Jokic being one DeMarcus cousins being another, uh, AD Zion. I mean, I don't yeah. know if we're going I mean, to call even Chris centers, Boucher, but you could say Chris Boucher, like his offensive outputs gotten better. Yeah, I never really thought about that. <laughs> um, maybe obviously used a little bit differently, but he's playing great this year. Uh, yeah. Short question, but tell me what you know about Chris Finch. And I mean, you can base it off the three games or stuff, you know, before I only know the stuff that I've read. Have you been to summer league before? No. I, every it's, it's my thing, man. Every, every summer I don't go to summer year. league and then I vowed to go the following year. And last summer I <laughs> vowed to go this year, but you know, I got to blame COVID. So, uh, so next summer for sure. I'm going. Right. To well, that, that that's just, I think, uh, I think pretty much everybody who has been to summer league knows that at the stadium on the far side of the stadium, like it's where everything's dead is the only place where there's coffee. <clears throat> So you got to like walk out of the small gym into the big gym, all the way over to the, you know, to the far side of, of the arena. And that's where the hidden coffee stand is. That's super mean. Okay. (laughs) I know it's, it's wrong because a lot of times, you know, if you're there at, you know, the game started at 11 o'clock and you're in Vegas, like you probably need some coffee, you know, to, (laughs) to get through your day. And so, so I remember, uh, 2019 summer league, the last one that happened. Uh, I actually think there was a uh, earthquake the day before, but uh, you remember that the, the wolves are playing and there, there was an earthquake yes, that happened. I do. Um, but anyway, I, I'm dragging this out. So I, I go over there to uh, 
to get this coffee and, and I'm just, you know, waiting in line. I think I have my headphones in or something and Gerson, you know, taps me on the shoulder because he's behind me in line because he also knew where the, the coffee was at. And, um, and he was like, Hey Dane. And it would, would recently just, I mean, we'd only met not that long ago um, because Gerson had just taken over, but obviously he recognized me and it was Gerson. It was me in line. Gerson Rosas and Chris Finch. <laughs> they were going to get oh. going to get coffee mm-hmm. together. <clears throat> and uh, he's like, what's up, Dane? You know, this here, like, uh, this is uh, Chris, Chris Finch. And obviously in my head, I'm like, oh, he interviewed for the job. Uh, and so I kind of, I, the reason I share that is that moment is has always been in my mind <laughs> of the two of Gerson and Chris going over to get coffee um, at Summer League, not, uh, you know, a month or so after Ryan had been, given the job or whatever. Mm-hmm. So I'd always kind of had that in there. And then, you know, as you start seeing Rosa's process start to play out, um, I mean, you begin to question, I think if, uh, you know, are the wolves going to be bad for a couple of years? <clears throat> and as that year transpired, you know, they, they were pretty bad. And I was like, I don't really think they're going to be able to be that good in, you know, 2020, 21 either, which, you know, kind of leads me to think as it would with any team, what are the chances that the incumbent coach is going to kind of make it to the next window? And, and so you start kind of, when you're having your conversations with people, you start having, you know, having those conversations and Chris Finch came up every single time mm-hmm. and, and just kind of got to a point where, you know, I don't want to say it, it was a foregone co- conclusion because it wasn't anybody saying like, Oh, the wolves are going to hire Chris Finch. It was just, it was just the presumption amongst yeah, yeah, everyone in the league that if and when the time came that Ryan Saunders was let go, that Chris Finch would, you know, would take over. So I wouldn't even say it was all that, you know, crazy of a call. This was just, um, you know, that's just Gerson's boy. Like they, like it was, it was in his vision. I think before he even got hired as the Timberwolves someday, right. be the GM of an NBA team and have Chris Finch, this dude who he cut his teeth with in the G yep. League come up and, and be his head coach. So here we are. That's fair. And to be clear, like we're not talking about a dude that is come. He, he didn't just hire him because he's his buddy. Like he's got credentials. No. Uh, oh, yeah, yeah. <laughs> he's, he had, for reference, he had the David Vanterpool role as David Vanterpool has in Minnesota. He had it in Denver, he had it in New Orleans. Does he? And did he, he have it in Toronto, too? too? Okay. Mm-hmm. So he's been the associate head coach on three different teams, three good teams. Uh, well, two, maybe not to earn New Orleans as much, but two good teams. Um, <laughs> so he's, he's, uh, he's not coming out of nowhere. He's got the history. Obviously, I mean, I don't want to go deep into this because it's already been all over Twitter. It's, it's a bummer. It, it's good that he's got the camaraderie with, with Gerson because otherwise, if this were just a dude that, Gerson admired from afar that he brings in midseason. That really sucks for that coach. He's coming into a situation with players that don't know him, a coaching staff that doesn't know him. And I mean, if David Vanterpool is pissed, I don't blame him necessarily. And a bad roster. Yeah. A bad, probably going to lose a lot. A bad injured roster. Yes. So a roster that's bad because it's injured. Yes and no. Uh, like, <laughs> I, I think they're bad anyway, but yeah. yeah uh, fair, fair, fair. <laughs> uh, so. Like just just as an example, if they were to bring it, like if they were to bring in uh, uh, Darvin Ham or something, someone that Gerson doesn't have any familiarity with, but maybe somebody that is in line to be a head coach, that would especially suck for him. But it's, I mean, it's good that Finch has his guy in Gerson. Uh, have you guys have has the media talked with Chris about the transition into a new organization mid season? I, I I don't know the last time it happened. I don't know if you do, uh, but not only is it unique, it just seems awkward. Yeah. I mean, he's pretty much said as much that it's awkward and it's going to be, um, you know, it's going to be difficult, particularly man with the the season being so jammed. Like, I mean, there was before, before uh, Saturday night's game, like the last time the Wolves had had two days off in a row from games was um, like seven plus weeks ago. So it's just been kind of, you know, one thing after another, and that's not going to change in the second half of the year. So, um, I mean, yeah, Finch has this like all-star break to kind of get his bearings a little bit, but like, 
I don't know. I don't think you're going to be practicing a bunch with your group. Like those guys, the players on the Timberwolves have also been playing basketball games every other day or back-to-back days for three months. They're going to want to get away for a little bit. So it's going to be just this sort of constant, you know, mess, I think getting to, you know, getting to know each other, getting to know Chris's, um, you know, system a little bit more, as they say. Uh, I think, yeah, like the, the transition will not be clean. And I think Chris Finch has said that, you know, and, and will say, say that, but he's also like, I'm, you know, I'm excited for this experience. He's called it his dream multiple times. And, you know, from an organizational standpoint, like, I don't think they're particularly with D'Angelo out and Malik out. I don't think they're too concerned about taking some lumps along the way right now. So as to, you know, get Finch's system in place. And if they lose, like, not that they're tanking, but it doesn't hurt them because it, it doesn't hurt to get a better chance at that 40%. Like, I think, I think it, those both things are true. No, that's fair. And I mean, to all that, it's, I know he knows the players. Like he's an NBA assistant coach. He's been around the league for a long time. It's not like he walked in and didn't know what Josh Okogie was good at or what Ricky Rubio is good at or whatever have you. Uh, but even from a, a personal standpoint, I don't remember if it was you or Jace or John or someone that asked him a question about Josh Okogie and you just, they just said Josh and he had to yeah, pause me like, are you talking about Josh Okogie? And like even those little things, what, what a strange situation for him to be in. And yeah, because if I asked Ryan that it's obviously he knows it's, I'm talking about Josh. There aren't other Josh's. You talking about Josh Allen on the bills or yeah. I mean, it's, it's gotta be so uncomfortable, but um, he seems to be embracing it and on the floor. I mean, I've joked about it on Twitter, but he claps a whole bunch when, when they score and when they execute well, which, I kind of like, I think it's cool. He's like the anti Tibbs in that way. Uh, uh, but I'm excited to see that live tonight. I get like, that was, that's always been the really cool thing about this year. I mean, it sucks. There's no fans and everything, yeah. but like, you know, even from a pretty decent ways away where the media section is now, like I could hear Ryan, you know, mm-hmm. and what was happening. So I'm, I, yeah, this is a good note to put in my head to compare and contrast that tonight while, while that's going on because yeah, they are going to just be different people, right? Like, mm-hmm. Ryan was very unique in one way. And Chris is very unique in a different way, just as Tibbs is unique in his own ways too. For sure. And I don't, I don't think that's a bad thing necessarily either. I, the first game, but actually the last game, I think I covered in person. I plan to cover a game or two this year, just for the record, uh, was Ryan's first game as head coach, I think, or at least home, home game as head coach. I'm pretty sure. They played, was OKC their first game? OKC was, was the OKC. first on, on the road, yeah. Okay, okay. The first home game he coached was my last game in person. And I, I too am curious to see him in person, but watching him on TV, he hasn't shied away from get, basically getting face to face with players right away. I've seen him going pretty deep in things with Ant before. I've seen him going one on one with Jarrett Culver and a couple of other guys. So, I mean, maybe not shocking. He's been a coach for a long time. He's not going to shy away from a new situation, but um, it, it's, it's good to see that he's, diving right in despite the maybe discomfort that would come with it. So past all that on the floor, uh, I told you before the podcast, but (laughs) one of the, one of the main reasons other than you're just, you know, you're wonderful. um, One of the main reasons I wanted to have you on the podcast last time I compliment you like that uh, is uh, I think you have a good sense for, on floor execution, you know, you know, terms, I don't know. I'll put it that way. And, uh, Chris Finch has a, has a a reputation for being an offensive guy. Despite that last game and, uh, well, the game last night's game is what it'll be when people hear this podcast against Phoenix. It's presumed that the starters will be Ricky Rubio, Josh Okogie, uh, Anthony Edwards, uh, Jared Vanderbilt and Carl Anthony Towns. Not exactly a dream lineup for an offensive-minded coach. Uh, despite that, first quarter of the last game, I saw a lot of really good, easy looks for guys in the paint. I saw Jared Vanderbilt had a ton of points, easy points in the paint to start. They missed some shots. Uh, but what are you seeing from an offensive perspective, from an offensive standpoint, 
that maybe is a tweak or a change from Ryan so far, if anything, or maybe has he just stuck with what they've known already? Cause he hasn't, well, as you said, he hasn't had a lot of time to change things. Well, it's just, it's interesting. The roster change now change, without Beasley and starting lineup change changes so much because with Ryan, the wolves wouldn't have dreamed of putting, you know, three non-shooters on the floor together. Mm-hmm. And that's what the wolves are now doing with Rubio, Okogi, and Vanderbilt all out there at the same time. Plus now you're going to start getting Jared Culver into the mix too. So we're, we're pretty consistently talking about two non, maybe three non-shooters out on the floor at a time, which I know for a fact from Ryan was a no-go like that, because that, um, as we saw last night, will really limit what Carl Anthony Towns can do. Mm-hmm. Uh, it, he, I mean, Cat was, you know, seven of 19 from the field tonight. And that's not all like he's capable of through double teams still having a, you know, a good shooting game, but but I do think that's a fair encapsulation of how Washington, who is a terrible defensive team, still was able to just slow him down by showing him two bodies all the time. Or it was just, it was never clean for Cat, you know, where where they're always going to double off of a Koki. They're always going to sag off of a Rubio. They're always going to do all those things. So it's interesting because, because if that's what the defense is doing, it so contradicts what we understand Chris Finch wants to do, which is to spread the floor and to manipulate the floor with ball movement and, and, you know, and reversals, mostly going through cat at, you know, at the top. And I think a term we're going to all become really familiar with is, is pass and chase, which is, is going to be, you know, cat getting the ball anywhere kind of from the top triangle right there, top of the key mm-hmm. elbow extended either way. It's going to have the ball there. And whereas, um, you know, kind of previously remember with like Ed Davis, he would just stand up top and it'd just be handoff after yep. handoff. Yep. Well, now the difference will be Cat will be passing the ball to a player up there and then chasing that to, you know, to go set the screen, which just kind of adds a little bit more, a um, little bit more of a movement to the offense than, you know, just kind of the static nature of something where you're just running dri- dribble handoffs all the time, or you're just running, you know, pick and rolls all the time. Um, so I think, I think we'll see a pretty big difference there. A concern I have about that. And I talked about this after the, the game he fouled out against the Bulls is I think this is going to make Cat foul a bunch offensively because it's just kind of Russian roulette with him when he's setting screens up top all the time with those big feet and kind of awkward body. Like, I don't know. I think that's a battle that Chris Fitch does not yet know he has, you know, he has coming for him is if you're going to give Cat the ball all the time up top, you're going to try and make him Jokic. This is pretty jokic Like, He's got to mm-hmm. not turn the ball over and he's got to not foul. And uh, I wouldn't say Cat's particularly good at either of those things. So that that's that's the teaching. You know, that's the teaching for Finch. He clearly wants to play this way where the floor is spread through Cat, either five out or four out, and um, he wants to let him cook. But uh got to stay in the kitchen to cook, you know? <laughs> okay, so – Teaching. I like, that's a good segue. Teaching. Uh, Chris Finch joined the team when the Wolves had, I got it. It's got to be the worst, right? Yeah. Worst record in the league by at least a couple games. Uh, injuries, suspensions, a cat recovering from COVID. Uh, just a 19 year old rookie with poor shot selection. Like just, just a cocktail of things you don't want if you're the head coach of a team. But he has the support of his general manager, his Pobo, whatever you want to call him. Uh, and he's coming into a situation where the team is already poor. The roster is in, in, in a great state and the record is bad. So he's got, I think he has time to do some of that teaching, even if it uh, turns into, I, I don't want to get into whether or not they're tanking necessarily in this episode, but uh, they're definitely bad enough that that, could be in the future. Um, and I guess what I'm, what I'm getting to is when I look at him now, I wonder if this is similar to a situation that Brett Brown had in Philadelphia, where he got a lot of leeway and a lot of time to be bad with a bad roster. This is obviously different in the fact that, uh, this isn't a trust the process roster where they're just dumping everybody. They have big money. It's on not. The team. Well, 
Well, they don't have. They didn't have a Carl Anthony Towns or a D'Lo on the team. If I yeah, remember. but other than that, I'm talking everybody. financially. It's not the same as the trust the process. They had a lot of small. That's right. That's right. Playing. I just say, I, I my opinion is what all is playing out here. It, you're right. It is not exactly the same. It is so much closer to the Sixers process than I think all of us are giving it credit for. Fair, fair. Yes, there's the is the Cat and D'Lo stuff at the top, but I mean look no further than the roster churn, right? Like, no, for sure. For sure. I, I don't disagree with that. I, and that's, that's kind of my point. Like it, it makes me a little nervous that they're, they seem to be going towards the trust the process route with two max contracts on the books, but uh, that's maybe that's a conversation for another time. So what I'm getting at is uh, I wonder how much time and patience, the front office, considering the relationship they have with Finch and considering the current construction of the roster and the record, are going to give him. My assumption is that, again, it's going to be the Brett Brown model where they're going to give him a couple of years to maybe be bad uh, before they really start looking at anything. And really that's weird because he's tied to Rosa's though, right? Right. Like that's, that leads me to my next point. If they don't get better, I wonder if the moment Finch leaves is the moment Gerson starts or Gerson is on the hot seat because at this point they're kind of tied to each other. No, yeah, no, I would say completely. <laughs> I mean, that's why it's like, I mean, we said before with Ryan, it's like pretty much every head coach gets a couple of years, right? Um, and, and you know, like, it's very, by, I, I don't want to like, uh, two years and he's done, or two years and Gerson's fired, two years and Fitch is fired. No, 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 I'm not but, asking for enough. Yeah, no, but it's, uh, it's just interesting because, <laughs> I mean, it's not that hard to, to, to if, we look at the next 12 months for the Timberwolves to, to paint a pretty Armageddon picture, right? Yeah. Lose the pick, you know, cat starts getting, you know, <laughs> wanting to move to on. Yeah. Like yeah. Uh, the D thing doesn't pan out. I mean, ant doesn't turn into what people want yeah. to turn into. And, and I think probably the ant one probably has a little bit more time, but I think sure, like sure, sure, sure. the D like, okay, if the D doesn't work and if Culver like, they might not pick up Culver's fourth year option, right? Mm-hmm. I mean, that's yeah. like, do you want to pay Jerk Culver nine million dollars and for his fourth year? I mean, I, I don't know. Maybe maybe Roses will say because I drafted me too, but I I think if you have Jerk Culver making nine plus million dollars uh, in his fourth year, that's you're literally signing up for a negative asset. So there's just kind of like some of these things I could add up. It's like, all right, the cat thing didn't work, the D-Lo thing didn't work, the Culver was your first round pick didn't work. Ant is kind of like incubating uh, McDaniels, you know, looks nice, but there's just, there's just a way where this could shake out of the next 12 months where, where if you're, you know, the owner of the Timberwolves or the fan base of the Timberwolves that you could start agitating for um, mm-hmm. a change up top. And, and that would be weird because, because it'd be hard to see Finch still being here Right. When Rosa's wasn't, you know, so obviously a ton of things to, you know, to, to play out before, before that, you know, ever, ever comes to be, but it is just kind of a signal of like, it's go time. Like for sure next year, like you can't, I mean, you gotta be, you gotta be good. You gotta be good. Um, because this is, this is just a dangerous low right now. And it scarily feels like it could go lower. And we'll be back with Dane after a quick break here. It is trivia time. Our second trivia contest, courtesy of Prize Brewing. Uh, But before we get into the trivia, I want to tell you about Blood Orange Miraculum. It's my favorite beer at Prize. Uh, they took their signature Miraculum IPA. They gave it a fresh squeeze and, and now has an addition of citrusy blood orange. It looks good. It tastes good. And it is a favorite reinvented for all of their beers, all of their merch, everything they have going on. Go to prizebrewing.com, P-R-Y-E-S, brewing.com. I have Bray from Duluth. Uh, fun fact, I actually know Bray a little bit uh, from years past. He is a patron and he was randomly selected the second episode. So I'm happy to have Bray on. Bray, how are you? I'm great. Thanks for having me, man. 
Absolutely. So this whole podcast was about Chris Finch. It was about Ryan Saunders. It was about coaches. So in that spirit, the topic for all three of our questions are about Wolves coaches. So before we start, our prize prizes, I love that, uh, are tiered off. If you get zero or one question correct, you walk away with nothing. I'm sorry. You get to be on the podcast. Thank you for supporting. If you get two of three, you get our tier one package. And if you get all three right, you get our tier two package. Bray, are you ready to go? I'm ready to go. Excellent. So question one. Flip Saunders is first all time in win percentage for the Timberwolves. And I'm not going to give you number two, or I'm going to give you number two because it's a little bit easier. Tom Thibodeau is second in win percentage in Timberwolves coaching history. It's sad. The second all-time guy has a win percentage of 475. So not even above 500. Who is number three? Two come to mind. It'll probably be either Rick Adelman or Sam Mitchell. I'll probably go with the uh, habitual one or two under 500 Rick Adelman. That is incorrect. The third, you did, it was neither of them. Wow. The third all-time in win percentage is Dwayne Casey. Uh, Rick Adelman had a win percentage of 422. Sam Mitchell had a win percentage of 354. Dwayne Casey was just above Rick Adelman with a win percentage of 434. He was 53 and 69 in his career as Timberwolves head coach. It's all right, you still have two to go. The second question. Who is this is a this is a straightforward one. Who is the first ever Timberwolves head coach? Who coached the inaugural team? <laughs> oh, inaugural team was '89. Um, a little before your time. Well, I mean that was the year I was born. I don't remember <laughs> it. <laughs> you don't remember watching any of those games? No, not not at all. Honestly, wasn't it? Like, I, I cannot get Tibbs' mullet out of my head. I know he's not his head coach. <laughs> but um, I want to say Bill Musselman. Bill Musselman is correct. Yeah. You are on the board, Bray. Bill Musselman coached between 1989 and 1991, finished with a career record of 51 and 113. Not great, but neither was the roster. <laughs> All right, the last one. This is my favorite question. I think it's a fun one. Two head coaches in Timberwolves history also played basketball for the Timberwolves. There are two of them. Name them. Sam Mitchell was the obvious one. And man, I, I just... I'm going to give you a small hint. I don't know if this will help you or not. The second one was the third coach in franchise history. Oh, that's, that's early. Ah. Uh, I don't even have a. I don't even have a guess to be honest. My coaching uh, knowledge obviously is not good. Once we were little infants watching, so I'm just gonna have to pass on that. I'm gonna give you one more hint, and it's <laughs> setting a bad precedent for trivia. But we're gonna make this like a lifeline thing. Okay. He was an assistant coach under a few different head coaches in Timberwolves history. A few head coaching stints. Honestly, no. For the Timberwolves, to be clear, to, yeah. for the Timberwolves. Yeah. Yeah, uh, nothing really coming to my mind. I, I'm trying to think of like old school players, not really my forte, but uh, I, even with the lifelines, I might have to. That's okay. The answer is Sidney Lowe from 1993 to 1994. He was also an assistant under Flip Saunders in a couple different stints. Yeah. Uh, I think he coached NC State, his alma mater as well. Bray? Sorry, man, you got one of three, uh, but it was good to hear from you, and I, I appreciate you coming on and participating in our second trivia contest. Well, thank you for having me. I'm sorry that I didn't bring home the dub. Now let's get back to Dane and the conversation. Well, I've been on a couple podcasts with some other teams, and most of them are surprised by how bad the Wolves have been. You know, it's it all comes with the caveat that Cat's been out, Delo's been out, they haven't played together, right? But it all, <laughs> I'm going to sound like a disgruntled Wolves fan right now, but it always seems to be next year. Because this year, yeah, they were supposed sure. to have Cat, they were supposed to have D'Lo, and they weren't supposed to completely suck. They weren't. No, like, yeah. They maybe weren't supposed to be very good. I was maybe a little more pessimistic than most Wolves fans, but I expected them to be... In the conversation much, for the 10th seed. Like, yeah, yeah, yeah. yeah, the 10th seed is 
about where I was hoping the play, the play in thing. Right. Exactly. I think that's all the fan base wanted. Yes. Which is not a high bar, by the way, not a high bar at all to, to be on the fringe (laughs) of the best team in the West. Yeah. 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 Like, and, and the thing is, I think people would have been cool with like even a step lower than that. Like, Oh, you know, we ended up falling out of the 10 seed thing because we lost so-and-so late in the season or whatever. No, there is a mile between where the Timberwolves are right now and the play-in mm-hmm. game, you know? And, and it's like, I think what people say is they're like, you know, there's, a, that, there's that mile there. And I don't think Cat getting COVID, D'Lo getting hurt, all these things make up for that mile. It's even worse than that. Like, sure. this team is, what, 7-27? and 27? Mm-hmm. I mean, Cat in his last 33 games he's played is 4-29. and 29. Yep. Yeah, I saw that number. That's that's brutal. And and that's, I think that's at the like begin- unacceptable. The beginning of the year, they they beat Utah and they beat Detroit and they they looked like they, yeah right they they look like they're gonna. Well, the uh, first two games you did it. The first two games of the yeah. COVID season where nobody practiced before. Like right. So, uh, I think I think some people saw that and were like, oh, here we go. You know. Two games under the belt. Let's go. Uh, and then the injuries start happening. Blah blah blah. But um, yeah, I, I lost my point. Anyway, no, okay, it wasn't just injuries though. It was there was like bad play too. Like well, no, no, of Ricky. course, of course, what, of you know, course. like individuals too. So it's like that's what makes up the mile. I guess is what I'm saying is it's like yeah, you got you got a bad hand. You got some bad injury luck. You got some bad COVID luck. But when you weren't getting unlucky, which was still a substantial chunk of the season you were also bad you were blowing fourth quarter after fourth quarter you know rubio the guy you went out and acquired this summer looked awful watch yeah, the guy you signed looked awful i mean yep. credit with beasley like that you know He's that's great, panned yeah. out you know mcdaniel's good pick but it's like it's an overwhelming amount of negative and for sure and that and that and that's what leaves us in this sort of like awkward spot where it's like shit we still gotta play 40 more games i, I remembered my point Okay. The first couple games, they had everybody, right? Scratch the injury piece. When Cat goes down, I think a lot of Wolves fans reverted to, okay, now D'Lo is essentially playing with his Warriors team of last year. This team sucks. They're not going to be good. Cat or D'Lo needs Cat to be at his best, whatever. Cat comes back, D'Lo's out, whatever. I think, I don't know. I was of the opinion that they were going to look considerably better when Cat came back because Cat is, just kind of has that gravity to him. They haven't. They've won one game since he's been back so far. Um, so, to, yeah, to your point, they haven't played well. And think I think looked? to some people, how do you think Cat has looked individually? How do I think he's looked? I, I don't think he's looked the same. Like when you look at his numbers, he's still shooting about 40% from three. He's still, I mean, his, um, his shot count is down. He just. It feels well, a lot worse to me than the numbers look like. No, I agree. I was going to say it's an eye test thing for me, but almost every year, there is a chunk of cat season where he just doesn't look as engaged on either end. And then at some point in about, well, about March or April, he turns something on, he gets a lot more aggressive on the boards and he, his finishing improves. I don't know if honestly, the numbers might not back that up, but there is, there is a switch in body language in the post. And in terms of his physicality that I see almost every single year, and I'm waiting. That Ryan, the that. Ryan interim season for sure was that, right? Yeah. Like that's oh, what, he was like the final three months was insane. Yeah. Um, and I would, I would say the last, Tibbs' first year, the exact same thing happened. Sam Mitchell year, the same thing happened. He seems to play well at the end of seasons. Um, or at least his body language changes. And I don't know if, if that actually results in a change in the stat sheet, but I, I don't, I see the opposite of that happening right now. He's making shots. Um, he, he's doing a, he's doing these cool like passes where he throws it and then he looks away. So it's kind of a no look pass, but not really. Um, he's, he's blocking some shots, but no, he doesn't, uh, it, he, he doesn't, he do, he looks worse than he normally looks. And I say all this to say, I hope that what I've seen in years past happens this year. Maybe, maybe having D'Lo back, having his buddy back who um, he could have some chemistry with helps get him to the point of playing like, we've seen him in the past, but right now he does not look the same. Well, it looks like it's starting to shape up that it looks like that he can't be somebody who both 
gives maximum effort offensively and defensively because he sure. doesn't have the bandwidth, right? Like we've seen, and we've seen this in the past too, to be fair, but this season for extended periods of time, we've seen him really prioritize defense, be very engaged defensively. Mm-hmm. And, and in turn, the Timberwolves defense look good in those chunks of time when, when yep. Cat is, is playing. The problem is on the offensive side of the floor, he is not also being cat cat, the offensive player while, you know, and so, so you have this thing where it's like, okay, what it feels like at least is for cat to be solid defensively. He needs to be 80% of himself or for cat to be solid defensively. He needs to be 80% of himself offensively. And, you know, like, I guess we got to see this play out a little bit more, but if that is true, if that is just a fact, and that happens for a lot of players in the league, mm-hmm. then he's not a superstar because, because you need to be able to be both, you know, like the thing we'd all been waiting for all the time. We've just been, while Cap was putting up those crazy numbers that you're talking about. Um, and he's a hundred out of hundred offensively. Like, man, if Cat just gets to be average defensively, yep. he's all NBA. He's one of the best players in the league. Well, six years, we have never seen Cat be average defensively and elite offensively at the same right. time. So, so at what point do we start saying, do we continue blaming it on the coaches, which is obviously this easy finger pointing to do there. Do we continue blaming it on the front office is easy finger pointing to do there. I mean, you got to weigh it out. You got to weigh it out because yep. if he isn't, if he can't be that thing, then you should trade him to a team who thinks he does, he can't be that. And it's, that goes against a lot of what we were talking about before reeling it all back to the coaching. Chris Finch loves feeding the post, getting his offensive elite offensive center touches. Um, and if they're doing that, if they're going to use him more offensively, what does that mean for his defense? Does that mean that that's now up to Gerson to find ways to make up for cats defensive issues? Does it mean what? Yes. I don't know what yes. it means yet. Right. <laughs> no, I mean, you, you have to, and like, you're seeing the poor man's version of that play out. You're going to in this Malik Beasley time, because it's like, all right, now we're, you were compensating for some of this lack of defense playing a Vanderbilt and a Kogi who are two mm-hmm. objectively good defenders. I think Ruby yep. average, right. Yeah. Um, you're, you know, you're, you're seeing that. And so it'll be interesting to kind of play that out and be like, what is this, what does this Timberwolves defense look like over the course of these 12 games where you're playing as much defensive personnel at a time as you ever have before. At the same time, it's going to be interesting to see how that contrasts with Carl's numbers offensively over these, sure. you know, over these 12 games. And it's, it's just hard because, I mean, this is what's happened for the past like two plus years with this team is we can't really use numbers as proofs at all oh, for because sure. there's, there's all this noise. I mean, like you never like totally, totally can, but a lot of times with most normal teams, you could go for this 16 game stretch. This is what happened. But there's always some baggage around the, the temporal stretches of time. I mean, literally for since tips, right? Since the mm-hmm. playoff year, since 2018, there, you've never been able to take like a 20 game chunk and not have, not be able to point at something that was like, this was messed up and that clouded what was on the floor. You know, Jimmy, you know, Ryan, the coaching change, all the injuries at the end of that or shutdowns with Taj and Dang and Teague and all those guys, the end of that season. Then, you you know, you, know, you move in, moving into the next year. Oh, like the offense is struggling because it's just cat out there and there's a bunch of Trevion Grams. And you go down the line and there's all, uh, seriously, there's all these things. A bunch then, of Trevion Grams. <laughs> there was. And it's like, it just sucks because I feel like whatever happens here over these 12 games, if it's at all negative, we're going to go, ah, culture change, you know? Uh, and COVID, change. right? And, and co- yeah, Pat getting like, hurt, and D'Lo getting hurt, and Beasley being suspended. I mean, it's, so at some point we just got to watch the games. And we got to say this guy's good, this guy's bad, this guy's yeah. good at coaching, this guy's bad at coaching. Like, I we can't, we don't have number proofs to be able, you know, definitely. And that no. sucks. Dane, before we let you go, you already you gave your doomsday scenario for this team something that could happen. Did I? I, I want, you, well, you tweeted no. it and I, I almost, oh, I, tweeted it. I almost replied it to it, but I, I didn't want to feel sad. So 
I, I want you to give me your optimistic scenario for this team too. Is there a scenario where this team comes out of the woodwork looking good next year? You said next year, this team needs to look good next year, compete for that 10, that nine, that eight, whatever have you. Oh, I think I they got to be better than that next year. Right. Okay. I think you got to be like in, in playoffs. Like, I think that's a fair expectation. Wouldn't you say? Going from by far the worst team in the league to like in the playoff conversation. Well, don't I think, let them, don't let that set that floor for well, you. No, no, don't, don't let them set that floor. Look at the roster. I, like, I don't think the roster is that good yet. Anthony Edwards needs to improve pretty significantly. And I want to see the pair of D'Lo and Kat on the floor before I say anything about them being like a set playoff team. Before so, I, before so you're cool happened. if they're just like the 12 seed again next year. It's just like, okay, well, now we've no, seen it. I, the I, seed, I want like, them, when they're healthy, I want them to compete for the 8, 9, 10. That's where, okay. I, that's right, where I, I, I would I project hear. them to be right now. The 5, the 6, something like that, I don't think is realistic given the West and the makeup of the West right now. So anyway. I think, sorry, I think oh, they can I think you're good. giving me your optimistic take. This is good. So no, what, is, what, is, what is what you want? What do you want to see from them next year? What would be a success story for them over the next 12 months or so? It all starts in this offseason um, by nailing trades where you're going to have to trade like for like salaries, right? The Wolves are already up against the luxury tax. So the only way, the only way to improve the roster or to adjust the roster mm-hmm. is to trade players. They, they literally, without dumping money, which will be hard to do because you're not, it's not going to be easy to dump D'Angelo Russell or, you know, whatever. Right. Um, the only way to change this team is to do like for like trades. So, you know, that's Malik Beasley for somebody else who makes 15 million. That's, you know, that's Malik Beasley and Jared Culver for somebody else who makes 23 million. You know, sure. that's, that's Ricky Rubio and Jake Lehman for somebody who makes 20 million like that. You need to just kind of put those together and decide how many draft picks you want to like add on to that to, you know, to sweeten the pot, to be able to get those players, but you got to get those players. There, you're right. This roster um, cannot be a six, seven, eight seed next year, but it's time for them to be. So you need to you need to go get that, and and you do that by nailing the trades, or you do that by getting lucky and landing a top three pick in this draft. And now that kind of sprays you out two different um, paths, right? Where where you go, now we got this asset and we got, you know, a top three pick in this draft that everybody loves. You know, what if we attach that to Malik Beasley and Jarek Culver? I mean, yeah, that turns into something for sure. That turns into something, something, mm-hmm. you know, or Anthony, you know, Anthony Edwards. There, you can now, you could really go win now with that and, and you could trade Ant and, you know, if they if get the, the first top pick, three pick, pick, yeah, pick, I mean, yeah, like, yeah. You, now you are loaded on assets. So you could go win now, win now and really, really get something or you can pivot off and go, we are now building. If you've gotten your top three pick, we are building around Anthony Edwards and Cade Cunningham. And it is time to start moving out of the Carl Anthony Towns era. Maybe you, maybe you keep, you know, cat there, but I think you probably when it's time to go into that next, that, that younger window, you probably just go, and you get off of cat as soon as you can. So he has as many years left on his deal. And I know people are going to be like, well, now you finally have two good young guys. Well, why would you want to get rid of a 26, 27 year old cat? Well, the reality is it's going to take Cunningham. If it's Cunningham and Edwards, right. Just up hypothetically. Together, yeah. Yeah. It's going to take them a couple of years to be good. And cat will then be a free agent by that point. Mm-hmm. So I don't think you can wait for this, the youth movement path to also intersect with the cat path unless miraculously you can convince them to be like, Hey, sign another five-year max here in Minnesota. Like, like if Cade Cunningham becomes Luca, like he, he just comes out of the gate hot really good right away. Something. Like yeah. That. That's what, you know, that's what, that's what, I think that's probably, that's probably the dream path, but um, you know, we're, we're stringing together a lot of things along that way where this, we're kind of now sticking a needle through a little, I don't even know what the analogy is here. But like you know, you know what I'm saying. Like that's that's uh, there are possibilities out there for this team to get um, in a really good spot. They're, they're for like for sure are. I just, I mean, I think you know me. I look at things like what are the odds of this happening? You know, what are the mm-hmm. odds of a, a, a scenario playing out? And it's becoming 
increasingly less likely that that it's it's a scenario I think that we you know that we really like. So along those lines, I think they gotta if that is the fact, if that's the way you view it as the Timberwolves front office, it's time to start moving around the variables to reset a path that increases your likelihood of finding, you know, a path for success for, for your team and, you know, for, for the future of this franchise. That was rambling, but that's my answer. No, hey, we're ending on Dane Moore optimism. I like it. Dane, you host hey, the- I don't think I'm a negative guy. Am I a negative guy? I'm covering, <laughs> no, no, I've covered the way. team. You know the teams I've covered. I've covered the Jimmy getting traded, the traded year after 13 games, then the last year where they're the second worst team in the league and out of the worst team in the league. You, I have the three years first, of absolute well, hey, hey, I'm counting the year we worked together when we got to watch them lose in the playoffs too, which was, you know, just, it was the best year of your career because we got to work together. I know <laughs> exactly. that. <but. laughs> exactly. Where I got to, I got to go cover two games in person up in the hockey box. That was really special. <laughs> hey, don't forget about Cleveland. Don't forget about Houston. Yeah. Don't forget about, of course, Chicago. Anyway. We, uh, we, we did. I, they let me cover those games. <laughs> anyway dane moore hosts the dane moore nba podcast on blue wire podcast if you're listening to this and you don't listen to the dane moore nba podcast what are you doing um i'd be surprised if you didn't already listen to it but if you don't go subscribe to it it's my favorite timberwolves podcast of course other than this one uh (laughs) he is a friend of mine he's great at what he does dane i appreciate you coming on uh our second episode man hope you're well Thank you for having me. Um, I, I was thinking before we started, what was the last time I saw you in person? I bet it was Ryan Saunders' first home game as Timberwolves head coach. <laughs> I think that's what it was. Yeah, we got to change that, man. Once you know, once things long. get reasonable to do so. Oh, we will Wolves Twitter collection. You know, everybody out to a brewery or something. That's got to happen. That sounds lovely. <laughs>